Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! City uh, 4-2, which was a surprising result. Uh, and with me to talk about it is back from his sojourn on the slopes, it's Brian Ashlock. Brian, how are you doing? I am somehow just amazed that we are finally done with what is both like, you know, by calendar days, the shortest ever Premier League season, but what has felt like the longest Premier League season. So, you know, it, it it doesn't felt like it. It's been the long. I mean, it really is like the Batan death march. It's just it's taken forever. We felt every second of it. Like I, you know, I really thought that the season only had like two or three games left when we fired Jose. It turns out there were like eight more games. Surprise, there's a whole season left. It's like, ah, man. And also joining me is my faithful sidekick, Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you? Wow. Demoted <laughs> from one week to the next. Last week I was co-host. This week I'm back to sidekick. Yep, I yep. Mean, Gotta stay on those toes. This is horse shit. <laughs> so, yeah, we have... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because we had some good games earlier in the year. This might have been the most fun I've had watching Spurs this season. It might be because I was in a bar with my friends, and those last 20 minutes were pretty bonkers, and I was kind of drunk, so... Maybe that's why, but like, I'm glad I got like one moment at the end of the season that I was actually just sort of been able to feel unadulterated joy at this team because uh, it's been a pretty fucking miserable year. But was this? I mean, this was certainly Ryan Mason's best performance, right? Right, Brian? Oh, oh, he's back. back. He's at mid-season yes. form. Damn it. <laughs> um. So the answer to your question is, yeah, I guess I can't think. I mean, the Sheffield United match, right, was we won 4-0. Um, but that was just us beating up on a better team, so the, or a worse team. So this is like our best performance against a actually good team. Um, and it wasn't like Leicester were at the beach either. Like, they needed a result in this match to get Champions League football. And, uh, yeah, I think... I don't know that we did anything great because of Ryan Mason or if this was just, you know, Gareth Bale did stuff. Um, but it worked out. It's great. Hey, we found Gareth Bale putting us in a European competition. It's what we always dreamed of. <laughs> you know, it finally happened, boys. I always dreamed of playing in the European Conference League. Hey, inaugural European Conference League. Arsenal's never going to sing that. I just hope he's back next year so we can have a taxi for Eastern <laughs> European left-back tractor farmer uh, to bring it all full circle. How, how many goals could he score against the uh, pig farm workers collective? Uh, I mean, I, I not to bag on the competition before we're even in it, but like we, we could win a, a trophy, guys. That'd be cool. It is a nice-looking trophy, to be fair. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's... <laughs> At some point, like some third place Europa League team will drop down and they will win it. It'll be like Villarreal or Sevilla will somehow drop down into our competition and that they will ultimately win the final because that's what those teams do. Sevilla B will win this one and Sevilla will win the Europa League. Yeah. It, it's, it's... I just hope... Uh... I just hope Dynamo Zagreb drops down so we can get that grudge match that we've well, all been no, waiting for. We all know what's going to happen because Roma's in the Conference League, so we're really going to – we're just cruising for that one. We're going to lose in, like, the quarterfinal to Jose Mourinho's Roma. Which is, you know, I don't know. I kind of hope we just make this the under-18 competitions with sprinkling in a few guys who, like, 
need the minutes to rehab uh, and also Joe Hart. But it, it's, it's, you know, the important thing is, like, it's, it's better being in Europe than not being in Europe, I guess. But really the important thing is we, by winning this game, we finished ahead of Arsenal. And, like, imagine not finishing ahead of this Tottenham team. Like, I, just completely embarrassing. And we fucked up Leicester. Like, I mean, we, we have cost them several million pounds this week. And that is probably more productive than keeping Chelsea out of the Champions League, as much as I'd like to be able to do both. Yeah, Leicester definitely depends on the revenue from Europe more than Chelsea, so it's nice to deprive them of that. We don't need a big seven making things any harder than we make it on ourselves. Um, but yeah, I definitely appreciate the the final humiliation for an Arsenal team, because I, as embarrassing as it is for them to be worse than us this year, it would have been way more embarrassing for us to be worse than them somehow. Even though the margins were as fine as they were, it feels like it would have been just way worse. Yeah, like, somehow, despite being worse than this Spurs team, which is an accomplishment for a team like Arsenal, you know, everyone still treats, like, Mikel Arteta like the dog that learned how to talk. And they're just patting him on the head, and they're just, look what he could do. Isn't that impressive? <laughs> you know, it's... That isn't impressive. <laughs> Spoken like a guy who's never met a talking dog before. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's. Does this before we get back to the game? Uh, we'll have a little bit of managerial chat later. Does this affect your opinion, Brian? I'll start with you, Brendan Rodgers. I mean, that's two years in a row. He's fucked it up pretty bad this year. I, if I was a Leicester fan, I mean, you just won the FA Cup. You're feeling pretty good about yourselves, but I'd be less than thrilled about how this game went. I mean, they they threw away Champions League. I I, I feel like I'd be extremely. I mean, we have some examples that are close to this in our history, but I don't think we ever tossed it away in a game where we had everything under control. Um, no, I don't think it changes how, how I feel about Brendan Rodgers. I think he's still a, a good manager. I mean, like you said, they won the FA Cup this year. Uh, I don't think any of those Leicester fans will be too terribly upset about having won a trophy and finished fifth. Um, you know, uh, I think, yeah, you're right. Like, the, the disappointment comes from having fourth in, in your hands and all you really needed to do was win. Um, but I don't know. I, 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 I think any season where you win a trophy, you can't be too terribly upset. Uh, and especially for Leicester, where you're not really counting on Champions League football coming into this season. I think, the, like, the only reason it is a disappointment is because they spent, what, more days in the top four than any other team uh, this season and then ultimately on the last day finish fifth. Like, I guess that's a disappointment. Um, but I don't know. I You wouldn't have picked them to finish top four at the beginning of the season, I don't think, anyway. So, I'm a Leicester fan. I'm like five years out of the championship and I've already won the Premier League and an FA Cup. I'm probably feeling fine. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it, it's one of those things that, like, I don't know. It would. Like, we owed Harry Redknapp a lot, but, you know, the whole putting Scott Parker in against Villa thing always rubbed me the wrong way about that. Like, I, that's two years in a way he's thrown away Champions League. And this year he literally threw it away against a very bad Spurs team. That's, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that tells me about Brendan Rodgers coming to Spurs other than maybe he needs to run those totals up a little bit before the end of the season. Tells me no matter how good a manager you are, you cannot account for Gareth Bale. That's that's what it tells me. I mean, so, so I think the Villa game left pretty bad taste in every Spurs fan's mouth. I mean, that was truly dreadful stuff going back to the Mourinho era, like that level of bad. And this game was, you know, I don't think it was great until about the 70th minute when we started making our subs, but it was better and. Once we put those subs on, it was really, I mean, it was really exciting. We were on the front foot. I mean, you know, Leicester having to pull some of their midfielders off, like, really didn't help. But, man, I mean, it was, it, like I it, maybe because I was drunk, but that's the most fun I've had watching Spurs in ages. Uh, it, it was, I mean, especially watching Bale sort of do his thing was, I, I thought, really fun to watch. Especially because that traitor Harry Kane couldn't put the goals away, so... We had to get a true club loyalist like Gareth Bale to do it for us. 
Yeah. yeah I, I didn't really enjoy watching Leicester's midfield be better than our midfield for about 70 minutes. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what you were expecting, given what we've that seen. That was inevitable, so right? Right. Well, because we started Harry Winks again. Exactly. Lo Celso and Ndombele were both gone. Not in the squad. Yeah, for whatever reason. Because they've been assumed up into heaven. Yeah, they've ascended. Um, no, I don't know. I Up until, you know, the, the Gareth Bale goals, I thought it was... It was going to just be one of those annoying matches where we played good in spurts, but then did some dumb things that allowed the other team to score, and we eventually came away with nothing. And, uh, you know, credit to Mason and the rest of the team. You know, he made those changes that they really brought some life to the team. I mean, we, we got uh, Lucas and Bale out there, and it really changed the match. And, you know, their defense just kind of let us do whatever we wanted in the penalty box at the end of the game. I mean, we were helped by maybe a handball. Well, definitely a handball, but not really sure why it wasn't called. <laughs> so, but, you know, whatever. Like, it was... Uh, like well, Jamie Vardy was... cheated to get their second penalty, so I'm not going to be too outraged about the handball. I yeah. mean, you know, if you want to actually, like, diagnose the match, you got incredibly lucky that Fofana went off hurt in the first half and indeed he had to move out of midfield where he was crushing yeah. us and go play center back where he's okay but like that's not where you want him um and again you know no no one can legislate for gareth bale so it really felt like the kind of stupid game where we're gonna come away with a stupid draw that was no good to either of us and we both just like end the season in a very uh, kind of kind of manner and uh it was it was nice that it didn't it was nice to just have like one one little high, even if it was only for 20 minutes, you know, one last send-off possibly from Gareth Bale. Harry Kane got a goal and an assist to boost his tallies towards the Golden Boot and the Playmaker Award or whatever we're calling that shit. Uh, you know, it was like... Has that it award was, ever it, existed before? No, I, I've never I didn't seen know what those anyone were. receive that award before. I didn't even know what those were when I saw the polling. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's because it usually goes to, like, Ozil, and uh, we, we don't pay attention to that trophy ceremony that happens. I don't know. I just feel like I would have heard at some point about someone receiving the Barclays Playmaker Award for most of it. I've never heard anybody well, I think it's what, say I think, that. I think the Conference League is replacing this, so. <laughs> it was, yeah, I think it, it really sums up. It sums up Spurs to have a very frustrating 60 minutes of a match capped off by, like, 20 minutes of euphoria that felt kind of undeserved and out of left field, but, like, you'll take it. Well, it was, I think what made it so fun was, A, you know, I mean, you know, we're all playing with house money at this point. Who cares? It's all just over, and we're happy to see it end. But, you know, there was something nice about, like, we're going to screw Leicester over, we're going to screw Arsenal over. And we're going to, like, dig it out at the very end and do it. There was something really fun about it. All we that. have left is our petty victories, right? Yes. I mean, really, that's all I focus on 90% of the time anyway. But, yeah, it's just, it was really fun to watch. Like I said, I, I got to, this is the first, I watched this match at a bar in New York. It's the first time I've done that in a very long time. So it was, like, it was very fun for me. It's just, you know, I... If, if I have any major takeaways from this match, other than Ryan Mason go don't manage our team for a while, it would be I'd like to have Bale back next year because you know over the last few games I, I thought this about a lot of our team, but this game in particular is like if we had any sort of structure with Bale, I think any sort of like functional manager can figure out a way to use him. And this is the first time the whole bring Bale on at the end of the game and let him rescue us thing actually worked. I, I mean. I see no reason he can't be a productive player for us in a, in a system that makes any level of sense. Yeah. I, I mean, he's he had he finished the season with like the most goal and assist per 90 of anybody in the league and made our, our attack the most productive front three in Premier League history, eclipsing the Rudy Ronaldo Tevez front three at Man U that won everything, you know. Oh, like, good. So, <laughs> it's like a trophy. I thought that stat came out to be false. I don't care. Okay. All right. It got it earned a, I, maybe, did, Rudy, it did Rudy Tevez and Ronaldo? Did Rudy Tevez and Ronaldo win a playmaker award? I don't think so. I don't 
fair. Though either. They, they may have. It may just be that because they assisted each other's goals so many times <laughs> that we didn't score enough goals for it to count. You know, that they probably scored more different goals between them, but I'm just adding up the number of goals and assists, even if they all overlap with each other. It's still a lot, and that's what matters. But anyway, the fact that as bad as we were, that we could get three guys, one of them who's, you know, a geriatric who spends more time on the golf course than than uh, at training, it, it just shows that, like, yes, th- these are guys who you would like to keep around and can get something more out of if you had a manager who built the other eight guys around them in a way that made any kind of sense. I'm also pretty sure that Hungman's son didn't score a goal after about February. Um, I was like November, so, it feels like. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing what the, that front three did, and especially considering that Bale was only intermittently a part of, of that group. Well, especially um, considering there was no form of, like, tactical build-up in this team for the entire season. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that I liked about this game, and that I've, I guess the, the thing that I've liked the most about the Ryan Mason tenure, um, if I have to pick one thing, is Deli Alley playing again. Deli Alley continuing to look good. Um, you know, he's, he's so active. He's so good pressing. Um, you know, the little back heel this, and the tricks that he does to set up and open up other people. Uh, you know, it's so good. And I like when he has the freedom that he's had in these last few matches to do all that stuff. We didn't. We never saw that under Jose. And and so, you know, if Ryan Mason did nothing else, he put Deli back on the field gave him an opportunity to kind of play into, you know, his strengths. And and hopefully next year we're going to see more of that. I, it really is, like, I mean, the Mourinho decision to sit him was always a bit perplexing. And watching the last few games, it's even more so. It's, it's just, he's been very good. He's fun to watch. And, again, another, like, I feel like I keep saying this about the whole team. Like, put him in a system that makes any level of sense, and I'm interested in seeing what it looks like. It's, he... He's been very fun to watch, and I would like to see him back next year. And I'm glad that he outlived Jose. How many players get to, you know, sort of make that bet when a manager wants them out of the club and wins? So good for him. Wow. Yeah, I'm just going back and looking through Sonny's performances this season. He scored one goal between January 2nd and April 7th. That's 13 games where he had one goal. And then he scored four in the last eight games. So, good for him. I, guess I don't even remember Sheffield. those four. I don't remember he's any of He scored against Southampton, Sheffield United, and Leeds. So, all three of Mason's first first three games, Oof. he scored. But, yeah, Oof. he really, that's that's very invisible for a guy who was nominally in the Golden Boot race. I mean, it sounded, I mean, it felt like that at the start of the season, he scored every game. With the, our first shot of the game, usually. Yeah, I think we don't like to talk about it because we all love Sun so much, but, like, he hasn't been great for a while now. Does any of that coincide with his injury, I wonder? I mean, he did get hurt for a while there, so. Again, I don't I don't remember it. So much of this season is a blur, and I'm not going to look up more things while we're talking. But okay. Well, let's, yeah. let's... Why would we prepare? Let's, yeah, I mean, why start now? Uh, let's talk about the season as a whole. I want to... Um... I feel like this is a sentiment. I don't entirely share it, but I understand it. Uh, I feel like a lot of Spurs fans are sort of shaken to their core a lot more by this year, just like depressed in a way that, you know, I wasn't around for the 2.8 games season, but certainly, you know, I, I was here for Sherwood. I was here for ABB. You know, I, I've lived through some less than great seasons, but even more so than last year where Pochino got fired, I feel like this season's just been like a real slog for everyone involved. Everyone's like, you know, I mean, I've seen, I, I know a lot of people who are just, like, really scaling back their level of investment in Spurs. And a lot of this is also on the heels of things like the Super League. And, you know, there's a lot going on. The pandemic, the pandemic's been going on. And obviously that's going to screw with, you know, how you perceive the team, too. But, Ben, you're probably the person I, I know best who's had feelings like this, if, if I could speak for you a little bit. But what made this season, I, I know this is, like, sort of a dumb question but what made this season so much worse than just a bad season because I don't think it was just the fact that we were less than successful on the pitch that made this such a rough year for all of us 
Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot about having projects over the years, and I think that is one of, like, the big things about this season that felt, like, just so inert. You know, even last year, seeing the Pochettino era come to an end, like, when Jose came in, we all convinced ourselves that, like, somehow this might be different, and we got a very good beginning, and then a very terrible middle, and then after, you know, the long COVID delay... We had a really kind of exciting summer um, where we kicked on and finished in the Europa League spots. And it was like, as bad as that season was, you could still tell yourself, like, well, Harry Kane's back. You know, Jose's got something cooking here. Um, Maybe, maybe this will actually work out. And I think by about November of this season, you just have, I mean, I... Certainly, I just lost all hope that that was going to happen. You know, we started the season kind of hot. We were undeservedly at the top of the table. And we all kind of knew it was a mirage, that we were getting very lucky, scoring with our first shot on target, you know, sitting back, quietly collapsing leads in the 80th minute. Um, We knew it was too good to be true. And once it became apparent that it was all bullshit, everything since then has just been, like, waiting for the end. And, you know, I think when you talk about the this Leicester game, regardless of how it actually ended, I think there was a sense of joy just knowing that that was it. It was over. 2021 season would no longer be happening after that match, whatever, whatever result we had. And I, I really struggle to think of a season that felt so, so aimless and just with nothing, nothing to hope on other than being put out of our misery. Well, and I think that was a really ruined it for me. I, I, I think that's sort of well-observed, and I think on top of that is there weren't many sort of, like, highlights. And I know that sounds obvious, but, I mean, there weren't the things to get, you know, whether hope on or really celebrate. You know, we had we had a good run of fixtures. You know, that first Arsenal game was, you know, I, I know some people didn't enjoy it, but I did. Um, you know, the United game earlier in the year. But... It, especially as the season wore on, it was just like, you know, we get eliminated by Zagreb, which is, you know, sort of stands out amongst the other bad losses. Then, like, you know, the Mourinho thing finally, like, comes to a crashing end. Harry Kane wants to leave. You know, it, it's we get whipped, we get our ass whipped in the in the cup final by City. It's It was just, aside from sort of, like, some good vibes from just having Ryan Mason as the manager, and by that I mean... Jose Mourinho is not delivering press conferences, and at least when Ryan Mason talks, he says nice things about the club. You know, it was just like the hits just kept on coming. Like, on top of all the other things that were wrong, it was like the sort of, like, punctuation marks on the season were all extremely negative. And, you know, it just sort of ended with this, like, now Harry Kane wants to leave. And regardless of whether you blame him or Levy or how you feel about it, it just sucked. It was, no one was happy about it except maybe... Manchester City fans, but I don't think they get happy about anything. So, I mean, Brian, what you, you talk to me about the season? <laughs> I mean, look, I, I I think Ben was exactly right. Like, the, this wasn't a season where it was a project. We all came into this season being like, okay, we've committed to win now, and you have the early part of the season where that looks like maybe it's working to an extent. I think we're top of the table. What, as late as November? Um, yeah, and, it was and, early November. Because it's uh, we we play. Is it City? We play, yeah. we play City, City like in November. Us. City exposed and us, and that was it. They're like, "Oh, is this a title decider?" And turned out it was, but not in the way we thought. Um, but the City had been bad at that time. I think they were probably out of the top six or seven at that time. So, you know. I, I think I think the thing is is like the thing that we were looking forward to and hoping for was like the 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 league cup final and then it happened and it was just such a like I don't know how to like it was just a wet fart and it just like ah there was nothing to hang your hat on in that game yeah and it was like you know and, and you know you can talk about you know Harry Kane can question the timing of whether that made sense with the Jose Mourinho firing um but, like, we spent three months just being like, okay, well, this season sucks, but maybe we'll win the League Cup. 
and then we didn't. And then now there's nothing really to remember about this season. There, there wasn't even an interesting or compelling storyline. There wasn't like some player that we had that broke through. Um, you know, like you, you didn't get, you know, a Harry Kane star turn like you get um, in, in like the early Pochettino uh, stuff. You don't get, you know, uh, some young player coming out of the academy and doing well. Like, we got Ndombele playing more matches for part of the year and we got, I, I don't know what, what, what else good came out of this season? Like, like there wasn't a player development. There wasn't any coaching development. There wasn't a club development. It was just a, such a, a stagnant season where I don't feel like there was any growth on any front. And, and, and in fact, you know, in terms of the esteem that the club holds with some a lot of its fans, we actually went backwards with some of the Europa, uh, UEFA European Super League stuff with, you know, the, the prices for the Villa game, you know, it just, this was a whole season where you just want to look at it and forget it and just erase it from your memory. Is, is that something that made, like, if you look back, Let's look back at a disastrous season I lived through, like the ABB falling apart. Was that something that was a little easier to stomach, you think, for most Spurs fans? Because at least there, it was aspirational, and you could sort of see what he was trying to do, what the club was trying to do. And there was something there you could hang your hat on, as opposed to like, you know, that was like Ben talked about projects. So it was off the rails and as misguided as the ABB era was. Like, at least like there was building towards something or trying to build towards something where Mourinho is like that's it you get Jose Mourinho in like you're there you're at the you're in theory get bringing him in to take you to the mountaintop and if you don't get to that mountaintop it's like what's the what's the point um yeah I mean and, and AVB at least gave us like a successful season before that you know <laughs> well Mourinho we had... arguably gave us you know like it wasn't a disaster I, I, I'm all is all I'm saying I mean, we finished sixth. Like, it was not a good season. <laughs> like, no. It was bad. No. Uh, you know, ABB saw Garrett Bale turn into a global superstar. And, you know, we had the hype of the Bale 7. And, like, there was stuff there. And then when it fell apart, you know, even the Tim Sherwood era, which was as much playing out the string as anything we got under Jose, was at least, like, comical and stupid. Well, you had Harry King. And, like... Yeah, we briefly had Harry Kane there, you know, but it was mostly just like it wasn't marred by like toxicity. You didn't have like weird Muanon fans for Tim Sherwood who were like yelling at you about how like Spurs don't deserve this managerial visionary because you wanted this guy to leave. Like, you know, all of that other stuff wrapped around like the experience with the club this season just didn't exist then. So, like, we were bad and it was stupid and we knew this guy was gone at the end of the season, but. You didn't have that, like, terrifying thing in the back of your brain going, oh, my God, what if Jose somehow pulls us off and does just enough to get us another summer? We have to do this for another year, and it's going to be fucking horrible all over again. Like, that was inescapable. Like, that shadow hung over everything this season, and you never felt that before. Well, and, and I think that actually goes to something that I think was a particular failure of the Mourinho era, which isn't our performances or our place in the league it was you know when we brought him in part of the reason we brought him in is like that locker room got real rotten and real tired under Pochettino like they weren't executing they turned on their manager I think frankly Harry Kane some of Harry Kane's comments and that stupid interview are illuminating as about you know about where the locker room was under Pochettino and you brought Mourinho in to fix it now I know we all associate Mourinho with like toxic atmospheres and Obviously, we all know firsthand now how true that is. But, you know, clearly part of the reason we brought in Mourinho was to, like, bring something to that locker and they didn't have under Pochettino, you know, that winner's mentality or whatever Kane was talking about. You know, and that that's clearly the idea, and that was just a complete failure. I mean, this team was awful this year. I mean, whatever, you know, whatever Kane says about not enough leaders or, you know, not enough right personalities, I mean, clearly... You know, Mourinho is a failure at instilling that. You know, I, I blame that on the coach, at least to a large extent. You know, that's that's on him, and that was a particular. Fa- Mourinho was supposed to be this 
cure to a lot of things that went wrong under Pochino. And I think, you know, one of the things that sucks so much about this era is I think we all probably in our heart of hearts or not, not even our heart of hearts for Ben, he knew it. He was being very loud about it. Like we all knew this was probably not going to work. And, you know, we had to just sit through it and watch it happen and just watch all the problems we had in Latter-day Pochino just get worse and worse. And it, it was, the whole thing was just very ugly and a, a failure in all the ways that it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I can accept that I was wrong about, you know, the Jose era and that we would come out of it with a trophy. But how much um, of that was you trying to talk yourself into? Because I know a lot of the positive feelings I had about it were just like, well, it's not this anymore and maybe it'll work. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of it is you try to talk yourself into it. You, I mean, Don't look, give Brian that out. <laughs> I mean, that's... No, but look, we do look. We do a show where we talk about this stupid fucking team once a week, pretty much every week, and you, you want to enjoy <laughs> we it. We have done it every week this year. I don't want to hear that. We, we have gotten very... I feel like we it. missed a week or two somewhere. Shut up. <laughs> um, but anyway, regardless, the point is, is like you, you want to derive some level of enjoyment from it, and so you have to hope on something and like look he did get us to a cup final which we didn't even come close to winning but you know uh i, I don't know i on the bright side i was very much right about ryan mason so <laughs> well that's that's actually so that brian you make a good point we talk about this thing every week even we didn't talk about it on the stupid podcast we are spurs fans and you're looking for something to enjoy and i know for myself you know with the stupid pandemic going on like at least before the pandemic, like I could watch it with my friends and we could at least bitch and moan sitting around the couch together. Like I couldn't even do that this past year. So I was completely stuck with the football and talking to you guys about it online. And, you know, if you don't even have like some social interaction to sort of, you know, cut this awful shit you're watching a little bit, it's just, it's even worse. But I do that. So, yeah. And I think that also contributed to why this was such a long season. Because you lost, like, the group commiseration or the group enjoyment of what few good things happened. Like, you know, we were all just stuck inside or, you know, or we were all socially distanced or not going to bars and pubs and each other's houses. And it's just it was it was just watching soccer alone on your couch why your cats were very confused about why you were sobbing at 7.30 on a Sunday morning. Like, I just want them to play in Dombly. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, so all my interactions with people were just reduced to, like, angry texts about, like, fuck this guy, fuck that guy. Oh, we're so bad. I feel like those are most of your texts anyway, though. Yeah, so. but it was all... It, those are my only communication at that point. just depends on what time of the day they are. Exactly, so like, exactly. I mean, they're about soccer, and at night they're about wrestling, um, maybe or, baseball. Or, or baseball. I follow a very bad baseball team, so... Yeah. So. I, it was just... The Mourinho era was such a failure on every possible level. I can't think of a single positive I'm taking out of it. Like, Hoybeard was kind of good. Like... We got Regulon, who might be a good player one day. I, I, I'm genuinely struggling to come up with a positive. Daniel Levy might have learned a lesson. Yeah. So, so I guess that's my question: is like, what is if you have to take away like a good thing from this season? Like, is there a moment or a thing? Like, is Harry Kane winning the Golden Boot and the playmaker? Bale. Like, is that the it's it's thing Bale. It's got to be Bale. Like seeing yeah. Bale score goals in a Spurs shirt, even in diminished capacity, even feuding with his manager, was still fun. You know, like those games, those goals at the end of the season, really fun, really super fun. You know, I don't know if I'm going to cherish them forever, but I'm glad I got to see Gareth Bale scoring lots of goals in a Spurs shirt. Yeah. I think, you know, just to go backwards for a second, I think one of the things about, like, why we care about something as stupid as as this is, you know, it's... It's a nice distraction from your normal life. It's supposed to bring you some kind of joy. It's it's supposed to be a kind of community building aspect of your life where like you are all, it gives you something to connect with other people about. Like it's supposed to do all of those things. And we were not able to do any of that. There were no moments of joy. You know, all the communication with other people was endless debate and, and fractiousness. 
And the only thing that really rose above that was Gareth Bale. It was unbridled joy every time he did something good. It was a connection back to a time that we remembered things being good. And whatever people may have felt when Gareth Bale left, which was a very fractious time and people had a lot of, you know, negative things to say about Gareth Bale, all of that seems to have gone away. I didn't really see anybody who was like, fuck this guy, I'll never forgive him for leaving for Real Madrid. I'm not going to support him if he scores a goal. Every single person I, I can think of who was watching this team immediately forgave and embraced him. And that, I think, was just such a huge light in the darkness on every level of like just the things we like about sports just ha- happening in the midst of all of this. Even, it's that a shame. Was, even that was tangled with like Jose drama nonsense that seemed to make right. no... It's a shame that it couldn't have just been like joyous. But I'm glad that it was able to be, you know, at least, especially because he really came into the team when things started falling apart. It was a really nice reminder of like the good times and what this team could be and, you know, what it meant to believe about about Spurs again. Um, you know, and, and just having him do it on the final day the way he did to sign everything off and wrap it all in a neat bow was just, it was just a real gift. And I think without that, I think this season would have been just so much harder. Well, and Would just, you take him back next year? Yes. Even if he can't walk. He just wants to be a mascot and hang out with Joe Roden. I don't care. Fine. Like, just, just, just like put like Harry Winks under his like Jersey, so he can run around. Gareth can just tell him where to go. Like that's all I need. Like that's it. that's how Harry Winks can say it's Spurs. Like run for Gareth Bale. But two I, guys in a trench coat. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Englishman and a Welshman in a trench coat. But I think the fractious is a good point, Ben. Because I know in our Slack room, which is more than just us three, to be clear. Uh, but like every like six weeks, like clockwork, it's it's probably more often than that we have a long lengthy debate about who like how did this all fall apart at Tottenham and it's everyone blaming like someone else and going through the reasons why it's that person and not the other thing and it's just like that's what we've introduced to the only thing we talk about is like why are we in this mess and why are we, we in this mess and let's talk about the Italian national identity exactly that, that, that too that's because Vince is you know a proud New Yorker who you know just identifies with that proud identity Pizod. A proud paisan, a, hey. proud, a proud Puerto Rican paisan. Um, but it's it's just such. We a... all know it's George Soros's fault. <laughs> he, he helped Joe Lewis short the British pound and made him a billionaire, which let him buy Tottenham Hotspur. It's a it's a the first time you can really really lay blame at George Soros's feet and be like hundred percent correct. Boy, I didn't think we'd be uh, aligning ourselves <laughs> with weird anti-Semitic tropes on this podcast, but here we are. Good work, Ben. Um, <laughs> It's, yeah, I feel like that kind of, like, backbiting and, like, like looking back in anger, I feel like is the kind of thing that happens, like, occasionally. We all do it from time to time as sports fans, but it was just so much a part of the discourse, I feel like, both in our room and I think among Spurs fans in general. And I think that speaks to what a poisonous mess this season was. And I think that's, on it, frankly, why a lot of people are gravitating towards Potter, because... Whatever else you want to say about Grandpa Potter, he seems like a really happy guy who like does a lot of mental health stuff with his teams. And I don't know if Grand Potter is good enough to manage Tottenham Hotspur. I do know that sounds like a real breath of fresh air after the shit we've watched for the last like two years. He pissed off uh, Pep Guardiola a couple of weeks ago, so that was fun. Yeah, another thing in his favor. So. Yeah. Um. Are we gonna, is that what we're going to do? We're going to talk about managers now? We want no, to no, we don't have to talk about managers now. I just think it's, I think that's a reason that everyone's so hot on Potter is because it just feels like, not everyone, but a lot of people are. It just feels like such a change of pace, and I, I, I'm really excited for the next manager, partially because the shortlist is, like, generally speaking, with the exception of Roberto Martinez, who I think is only on that list as a result of his industrious agent. They're the kinds of names you'd want to see. It feels like we're getting back to basics, or at least like back to what worked for us. Maybe I'm wrong about that. This isn't an invitation to talk about managers. It's just well, I feel like it, it's such a. It feels like such a clean break, and I feel like that's exactly what we all need right now. So l- let me explain to you why I kind of feel like the opposite is because I feel like this is um, a very important decision for the club and Daniel Levy 
and I'm pretty confident he's gonna fuck it up. Um, and, and, and I mean, you know, I I know that I'm a big Daniel Levy apologist. I certainly wasn't as mad about all the Super League stuff as everybody else in the world was. Um, you know, I forced myself to be a little bit pro Jose Mourinho. Um, I forced, quote unquote. Um, but you know, <laughs> if we if we come into this and we hire, I I. I, I Roberto Martinez is obviously not going to happen, so we can use that as an example, I guess. But someone like that, as opposed to someone that gives us the project that we were talking about earlier, that gives us something to look at and hope for. Like, if we get somebody that's not going to play attractive and interesting football, that doesn't, you know, that, I don't want to fall into like the cliche and the tropes of, you know, give us our Tottenham back, that sort of thing. But like, I do want a version of Tottenham back. Like, like it doesn't have to be Mauricio Pochettino's Tottenham. It doesn't have to be Harry Redknapp's Tottenham, but like, I want a version of Tottenham Hotspur that I can turn on week in and week out and not overall hate the experience. I mean, and all the noises coming out of the club, walk in that direction i mean whether or not it's going to work is another matter but you know very plugged in people reporting about we want offensive mind manager they want someone who's not going to be a toxic asshole yeah but then we get like link with conte and it's just yeah like, you know, i mean I, I, again i i, I don't i don't know how much, how much that's industrious italian papers and how much is real so i mean i think a lot of it, you know it also has to do with us you know we talked about lester fans and how they'd feel about their fifth place finish and I think that that level of grace that they're willing to extend to their club is not something that we're capable of doing at this point. You know, if we if we blew top four on the last day of the season, no matter who's the manager, like we would be fucking pissed and things would be very ugly and bad. You know, we have gotten very spoiled by our standing in English football the last few years where we have a level of expectation that is a really hard to deliver on given, you know, the competition around us. At the very least, Man City, Chelsea, Man U, and Liverpool are all well-run clubs with a lot of money. And Arsenal, if they ever file Mikel Arteta and bring in some people who could run the club, you know, are right there too. You know, it's it's very hard for us to achieve our goals. And I think I, I, it's, it's a really, really tough task for whoever comes in next to make us feel good about this team without delivering on, on something that, like, it's really hard to achieve. You it may think, not be attainable. You don't think that, assuming there's sort of a base level of performance, that, like, you know, this is a team that goes forward that's kind of fun to watch. You don't think you don't think there's a level of sort of grace that fans are going to give the next manager after all the shit we've watched? You know, I think for a season, you'll have, you know, if we're playing better football, if we're competing in cups whatever but if we fall short and don't win a trophy and miss the champions league again like you know it's gonna be ugly like it's going to be bad you're still gonna have the weird Mourinho fucking people being like ah jose would have won yeah they're busy learning you know? Italian. <laughs> but like you know it, you know i remember back at pochino's first year when he didn't finish top four and it was tense and things got better and you know, you hope that after a year, maybe, you know, right away, we'll get where we want to go. But I think I think we got very spoiled by what Pochettino was able to consistently deliver us. That, And this is not to excuse anything that happened under Jose Mourinho. Like, fuck that guy, this was terrible. But I think whoever the next guy is has a really, really hard job to do with the club, the players, the fans, and everybody to to make this something we all are excited to be a part of again. Well, it, Ben, I think it's, I think that's a good point, but I, I think that's what's so weird about this, the, what, what he's walking into. Because on the one hand, okay, you're walking to a club with a lot of big, if not unreasonable expectations. You're walking to a club that I'm going to guess has its hands tied in the transfer market to some extent. You're walking to a club where your star player is, doesn't want to be there anymore. 
But at the same time, everything's been such a fucking disaster. If you just get this club playing well, which I don't think is the hardest thing in the world, going to be the hardest thing in the world to do, I, I think there's a lot of goodwill for someone who can do that. But, you know, again, that's the other side. Of, that's the other other side of this is, you know, what if they need a year to get it going? Like, like you talk about Pochettino. Um, you know, I don't know. Like, it, it's, it's going to be tricky. And that's, I think, the real danger for a guy like Potter. That's a big step. That's a real big step for someone who's coaching at Brighton right now. And I could easily see Potter being the kind of guy who, like, he may be a successful here, but he needs a couple seasons, like one or two seasons, to really, you know, get everything in gear. And, you know, are we willing to give somebody that much time? I don't know. I don't know if we're willing to give somebody that much time. Yeah, I mean, I think Everton fans who, like, thought they were going to win the league in in October and then at least talk themselves in the top four or whatever, and by the end of the season they finished 10th and... You know, I don't, we're not Everton, thank God, but it's just—it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough out there. You know, yeah. I, I guess to pivot into the actual managerial conversation, you, you brought up Conte. You know, that's a guy who is probably best suited to actually winning something in a year or two. But you know, you look at everything else around the club and the way we've run transfers lately. And the way Daniel Levy's refused to delegate and whether we hang on to Harry Kane or have to reinvest his money, like, we are not necessarily providing the fertile ground for, for that kind of success. It's, it's going to be hard. And it's like, do you, you know, try, try again with what you failed to do with Mourinho and say, no, 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 we have, you know, all these talented players, we mean, like Kane and, Delhi and Son and, and Domblay and Lasalle we have the core of a great team here. Like we just need to push on. Or do you say, let's cut bait, let's like retrench and like start a new project that might take a couple of years? I, I don't know. Like I, I worry that we try to push for it again and blow it, and then it's even harder to rebuild. And I also worry about having another rebuilding year and having some of these guys waste now three years at this club where we've spun our wheels and done nothing. It's just it's 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 a really, really challenging position well, for the club to be Conte, in. Conte really puts us in a weird spot because on the one hand, I think hiring Conte runs counter to, I think, a lot of the lessons that we learned under Mourinho and kind of where we've talked about, at least what we've seen, what they've talked about wanting to do. Like sort of, you know, all the noises coming out of the club are very much about we want to go back to something like Pochettino, we want to go back to a project manager you know, someone who's going to look to building this squad for to be sort of a sustainably good team for the next couple of years. And that's not what Conte does. But at the same time, if you're a team like Tottenham and Conte's on the market for all the problems that I think Conte would pose, like you said, Ben, he is an excellent manager. He's probably the best suited to winning us something immediately. Unless you're Spurs and you are, like, signing a contract with somebody today or, like, Final, very getting very close to that. Like you probably have to kick the tires on Conte just to see if that makes any sense. Because I mean, he's a he's an extremely good manager. He could probably do a lot with any team. That he said, just won the league with with him. Yeah, like that's huge. That said, he's a crazy person. Um, you know, he feuds with the management of every club he's at. He just left Inter after winning the title because they were, were going to have to sell guys this summer. I mean. You know, I can't see him working well with Daniel Levy. I, I don't. I wouldn't be angry if we hired him, but it seems like maybe not the best idea right now, um, at least in terms of where we want to go as a club. But I don't know. It's a strange choice. It, it would be. It would be a weird marriage, is I guess the way I would put it. It's not necessarily a bad marriage, but it would be a weird one. Yeah, I mean, the only way I think I see it working is if we're also putting in the backroom stuff. That leads us to a post-Conte future. Yes, but is that where Conte is going to want to fuck with? Like, right? Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a really hard needle to thread, and I just worry so much about coming up short under Conte, and then being right back here in a year or two years with, you know, Kane at thirty or gone, Delhi, you know, ready to leave. Everybody else tired of this shit, um, and you know, we got a bunch of aging Italians somehow on the squad. <laughs> Uh, as well, I don't know, Brian. What do you want? Not, not that. Not, not Conte. I mean, you don't want you don't want Vince running up our back line. No, no. I mean, look, 
Yeah, and he's very much a, a manager that's married to like one style of play. Like he wants to play that three-five-two, three-four-one-two formation. I mean, he he tried to ease into it at Chelsea, and that just didn't work. And you know, he won the league. Yeah, once he switched over, he because he started playing four-three-three, and then he kind of eased them into the the three-five-two or whatever. I I don't know. I I just. We don't even have two good center backs, let alone three. And I mean, I guess maybe that formation actually gets something out of Matt Doherty, and maybe Sergio Reggione um, plays well in that. But you know, we we might not have two strikers either, like let or, or one striker um, if Harry Kane goes. So I don't know. I I think whoever you sign has to be signed with the view to keeping Kane on board or that might be Conte though I mean if we're if we're talking it might be but I guess like I I mean the thing you have to evaluate is either are you getting the money enough money from Kane to make it worthwhile to let him go which I doubt in this COVID you know you know post-COVID economic landscape or are you gonna do whatever you can to keep him happy you know if you know, we've always talked on here about, you know, Daniel Levy doesn't like people airing, you know, the club's sort of laundry in public. And so how how upset is Levy about the the Gary Neville interview? Does he really care about it? You know, like, where does Levy sit on this gentleman's agreement thing or this Harry Kane's position that ultimately it's Harry Kane's decision whether he stays or goes? Cause I, you know, I don't know. I don't think any of that sits well with Levy, but he has to be the one to decide, like, are you comfortable letting him walk for 60 or 70 million and bringing in a lesser level manager? Or do you bring in Conte and give Conte a crazy amount of money that's not funded by a Harry Kane transfer? Brian, you've been... And that's one of the things that's so scary is that that's all on Daniel Levy because we're not a very well-run club. Is like yeah. he has to be the guy making all of those calculations and all those decisions and whatever. And like, it's just, it's a lot. Well, it, and it's and, it's risky because think about it. Let's say you're Daniel Levy and you're interviewing Eric Ten Hag, and you're just like, you know what? This is the guy. He's going to build a team going one way or another. He's going to build a team going forward. Like, you know, you just you just go to Harry Kane and be like, this is the dude to lead Tottenham forward. You should meet with him and like, we'll talk afterwards. And you're just sort of like betting the farm that this guy's going to take the step up to the next level and succeed here in a way that is either going to keep Kane around or allow us to succeed at a champions league level without Harry Kane. Like that's a big bet. I mean, that's a real big bet. And I, I'm just picking 10 hog. You could put in Graham Potter or Ragnick or whoever, um, and anyone but Conte. I think Conte is the only sort of like superstar name out there. Uh, otherwise, it's a huge risk. It's a huge risk. Brian, you haven't been on the show for the last few weeks, so a lot's changed in the managerial landscape. Without getting too deep into it, who, who do you, if you were Daniel Levy right now, if you and Daniel Levy switch bodies, who would you hire? Uh, I really talked myself into Ten Hag. Like a rat when that was first like very serious right before he signed the IX extension, like I I was like you know what I watched the videos of him talking about IX's tactics and how they drill attacking moves and I was like you know what yeah this is the guy like I like I I like what he believes about football I like his tactics I like how he built that IX team that made that Champions League run like I, I'm on board for that. And then he signed that extension and said all the stuff in the press and on the IX official website. It's just like, oh, maybe that's not real. And now it's being mooted as it's still a possibility. I, I think that would be my number one target. I, I, I just, you know, there's all sorts of complications of going from big fish and small pond to medium fish and a big pond. And I get it, like, you know... But I, I, I think it's less of a step to go from Ajax to Tottenham than to go from Brighton to Tottenham. Yeah. Um, 
and, and, and I don't mean that as a, as a slight against Brighton, but obviously Ajax are competing on multiple fronts. The expectations are very high for them. Um, you they're know, in, they're in high-profile matches. They're... Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I, I honestly haven't watched enough of Brighton to, to, to have any strong opinions about Potter one way or the other. I, I'm probably going to be fine with him if he is the guy we pick. He just doesn't inspire like me to like hope as much as like as like as Ten Hag did. But I also kind of felt that way about Mauricio Pochettino when we were linked with him and hired him. So like I'm dumb and wrong a lot. Um, except you know, about Ryan Mason. Except about Ryan Mason. Always right about Ryan Mason. So 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 yeah. So if I'm Daniel Levy, I'm doing whatever I can to separate Ten Hag from Ajax. But. Um, you know, I guess Potter's fine. I, I, I just have no interest in Conte because, and maybe it's just this is me as a football manager and FIFA player. Like, I like projects. I like building towards things. Like, Conte, very much like Jose Mourinho, is a short-term, we-need-to-win-in-the-next-one-to-two-seasons type of thing. And I, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to do it again. Like. Right. Brian, we've been linked in the in the press multiple times. Uh, Fabrizio Romano reported today there there could be a mystery candidate. How do you feel about a mystery candidate? That could be anyone. It could be Ten Hag. <laughs> yeah, the mystery candidate could be Ryan Mason or Tim Sherwood. <laughs> um, you know, I I, I I mean, unless Conte is who all these people were talking about, I have no clue who. Like, I feel like we've logicked out pretty much every manager. It could be. I or, mean, Nuno. Maybe. Ugh. Really? I don't know. No I mean, there is new no chance we're hiring that guy. <laughs> Good one. We're not like I think. I mean, I think at the very least, Daniel Levy knows that like, we need to play better football than what he's shown at Wolves, and I think that's just a non-starter. That would be that would be the worst decision he's ever made, and he did just hire Jose Mourinho. Yeah, I. I, I do think Nuno's bad. That's a terrible decision. I just don't know who like. Like the fact that there are suggestions that there are a surprise, there is a surprise candidate, and we exist in this world with social media and ITK, and it's just like, who is out there that would surprise any of us? Like, I mean, in theory, it would be a surprise. So I don't know, but, no, but like, I mean, like, what is, is it? Like Hansi Flick? Is it you know? Flick is was it... apparently had a conversation with us, so it could be. I, I guess what's so surprising to me about this whole process is we. Ever since the Ten Hog stuff, Spurs have really kept a lid on this. Like, we're not hearing much now. Maybe it's because they're not doing much, but I mean, usually Spurs are a leakier club than this. And you'd think that the reporting that we have seen from like Al- Alistair Gold or Romano is that the we've narrowed it down to a very small list of candidates. I think it's two or three, depending on who you read, and they are all employed by another club right now. And it's just like. You'd think between Spurs and another club that this would be get, and agents that we would be hearing about this one way or another. And on as of Wednesday evening in America, we have not heard anything reliable about anyone since the Ten Hog stuff like flared up and went quiet. It just makes me mad because other teams are hiring coaches, and what the fuck are we doing? We yeah, fire but that's a, like you know the sort of month ju- the, the musical months. chairs of the Bundesliga. I mean, you know, they all just hire each other until somebody gets to go to Bayern. You know, that's that's the you know some of the musical chairs of the Premier League. I mean, I don't know. I don't mind if it takes a week or two for us to get it right. I just want to hear who it is so I can yeah, but feel then better what have we doing, been doing for the last month and a half? Like, well, know, that's the thing. Convincing- We've been convincing Zidane to quit Real Madrid and come to Spurs. That that is not a thing that I would see going well. But no, but that I guess that's kind of what surprised me the most is like okay, let's say whoever we end up hiring is working. All the guys we're interested in right now are working for other clubs. And let's put Nagelsmann aside because that that is Pirlo still working for another club. Oh god, technically yes, but um, but you know I thought that meant like okay, Spurs are keeping a tight lid on it so they don't piss off the other club and end up having to pay more than they want. Um, when we hire this guy, but now the season's over, you think you know rumors would be flying fast and furious, and we're just not hearing anything. Maybe that's because we're not doing anything. But 
I suspect that we're just doing a better job than usual of keeping a lid on things, which is surprising. Maybe we were just waiting until the Europa League final was over so that we could then hire Unai Emery. I swear to God, I will become the Joker. If we hire Unai Emery. <laughs> I just, that's, a, I just, that's my thing is I just don't understand, like, if there's a guy that you want, you are a club that has money, just go fucking get him. Like, what are we doing? Well, there, like, was, I, there I, was some ITK today who said... I apologize for our reader, for our listeners who have to hear us talk about ITK, but you talk about all oh, like Potter's being difficult with his agent. I'm sorry, whatever you think about if Graham Potter would be a good coach or a bad coach for this club. If Tottenham Hotspur really wanted Graham Potter to be their coach, and that guy wasn't willing to crawl across broken glass to get that job, like he would be crazy. I I cannot imagine Graham Potter would bite our hands off if we wanted what? him as our manager. That's the kind of thing that makes me so nervous. Is because I think you're right. If we did definitely want somebody, we could make it happen and could have made it happen by now. Well, there's, the there's a difference. I, I can see us having a romance of Ten Hag or something. I can see that being something where you need to, well, you know, there, it's more, like, Ten Hag has more options at Ajax than, say, like, you know, I mean, Potter could skip a whole level of management and come to us. Like, that's such a, like, we're such a more attractive, you know, sort of position for him. I mean, I think you're really overstating... Ajax as a, as a, a club in, in the standing of world football. Like, name the last Ajax manager who's gone anywhere and done anything. I dare you. Well, you know, uh, DeVore went to uh, Atlanta United and Crystal Palace. So. No, but it's a position where I feel like Ajax is a much sexier position. Yeah, you, yeah. It's, it's nothing. It's not true. Like, you've got it's not, I'm not saying it's true, but I think people believe it. Like, these are the best managers we're talking about here. Everything else is like, it's a fucking garbage. I mean, Martin Yule managed Ajax at one point, right? Yeah, right? Like, come yeah. on. He did after Spurs and after Fulham at the tail end of his career because they were still happy to hire him because they're a terrible club with no standing in world football. Like, I think the fact that Ken Hogg took Ajax where they the did. The cradle of modern football. And you're like, ah, no standing. Fuck them. They don't. I mean, fucking, you can... You, go back to like push and run Arthur Rowe and say like why aren't Spurs getting the credit we're due because what happened in the fucking 50s like it's nonsense Ajax is not a big deal and managing Ajax does not mean you write your own ticket because you look at previous Ajax managers Frank DeBoer went to fucking Crystal Palace like this is not didn't he go to but didn't no didn't he go to Crystal Palace after failing at Inter Milan though right Inter which is like a basically Spurs level club if not worse like so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I, Ben's turn as a anti-Euro snob. I appreciate that. I, mean, I, I just think like your job, ben, I, ben Daniels. If we were like dead set on Ten Hag and we wanted to pay him just like Graham Potter, and we we're like, "You're our guy. What is it going to take?" There's no reason we could. It's not like he's like, "Ah, oh, I don't know. I'm hard, holding out for the Barcelona job." Like. Why? Why do you think you're going to get the Barcelona job? Yeah, out he of didn't Ireland? play for Barcelona. That's a full scenario. You know, he's not Catalan. He never played for Barcelona. Like, what's his, what's his angle? Well, you know, Ajax and Barcelona are very closely linked. So, play managing Barcelona is basically so like being Catalan. We're like sister clubs. Yeah. It's my it's, point is is the fact that we haven't done that, Greg. To go back to my point, the fact that we haven't <laughs> done that money up to somebody's house and said, come be our guy, says to me, either we don't have a guy or we're still waiting for, like, some mystery manager who might be Conte, who might be Zidane, or someone to, like, surprisingly appear on the market. Or we're having meetings to whittle down. We're allowed to jerk around the market and be like, yeah, I'd like to get you, but you know what? I don't need to get Los Celso because I can buy Bruno Fernandez, and so let's give me the best deal possible for Los Celso, or I'm just going to go over here and buy Bruno, and then we do a bad job of everything. And I was going to make a point about how Daniel Levy is probably entitled to a week to have meetings with people that he couldn't meet with for this week, but I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about how Bruno Fernandez sucks and how that fucking crybaby bitch deserved to lose today in the Europa League final and how funny it was watching them lose on penalty shootout and he just had to watch other people take penalties and it must have killed him inside and god I hate Bruno Fernandez so much like, it's I, I a mean, little because like he would, is good but like I love hating him so much more 
than I would like having him. It's it's I hate him. The way people talk, the way neutrals and United fans talk about him is so wildly out of whack. With like no one, like you read, I feel like you read any journalist talking about him, and like I don't feel like you read the word penalty once. It's it's. Oh my god, I hate him so much. I I hate him. And you know. That was your special boy, Giovanni. Yeah, well, who is better, but, you know, and I know we would all love him if he played for Spurs, but I'm not going to lie, if he was ball-watching on goals against us like he was multiple times for United this year, like, just standing there with his thumb up his butt, like, I don't know. I think I, there would be a part of me that would fucking hate him, too, like, if he played for us. Like, he is such a hateable piece of shit. Oh, God. I have no Eric, feelings about him one way. Though. I hope he goes in the stands at the Euros to fight Eric Dyer, and Eric Dyer like snaps his Achilles or something. Like Eric Dyer does like useful this year for the first time in like three years. It's weird because usually Eric Dyer is the one going in the stands. Yeah, well, Eric Dyer isn't going into getting on any field this summer, so hopefully not any fields this fall either. Yeah, I'll just be heckling Bruno in Portuguese from the stands. And, see, uh, see, I knew there was a reason we kept him around. <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, you can find our podcast on Twitter, at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, at Brian underscore Ashlock. And, yep, you is know how Brian, Is that Brian with a Y? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you? Okay. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me at Comrade U Spurs on Twitter, and that's you with a Y. Okay. You can find me at Skipjack0079, that is double O with a Y, and uh, don't forget <laughs> to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, because we have been a wonderful companion podcast for you this year. If you're still listening, um, I'll let you know what our plan is. Uh, we're going to be on a little bit of a hiatus this summer. We'll jump in... Probably pretty regularly, as we have news to talk about. Certainly, a managerial hire will be uh, something that we talk about. And we might even dip in and talk about the Euros a little bit. But follow us on our Twitter feed, at WDR Podcast, to uh, get announcements about that. Uh, For Ben, for Brian, and of course, for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, uh, Greg. I can't believe we actually made it through this entire fucking interminable season. Come on, you Spurs. Hire someone better than this.